board. Also, welcome to the visitors. Thank you for being here. My mind continues to go all kinds of ways with the Sunday school lesson and what we have this week. I figured that it should be something in the lines of Thanksgiving, and yet I wasn't quite sure, but a verse in Luke is where uh, we're going to go. Luke 17 has kind of puzzled me for a while, and it was even one that I probably discussed with my wife a little bit because of the day-to-day things. I'm just going to read it quick. It says, Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? It says, I trow not. And the word thank is in there, and it was to try to figure out if in my own mind, should I always, in my, my life, should I always be saying thanks for every little thing that somebody does? And so I jumped all over this verse and said, the master doesn't thank the servant, and so there's certain things that I don't have to thank other people for because they're just supposed to do that. And as it got uh, time to study, I, I decided oh, I'm going to see what's behind this and where re- things really are. So that was just to give you the little bit of the background where this came from because of the, and it was mentioned, selfishness that I don't want to thank certain people for something because I just don't want to. Or I have... Uh, I think in my mind I don't need to, so I'm not going to. And that could be right, if you take it from this verse here. And so we're going to have our whole text from uh, Luke 17, starting in verse 1, all the way through, uh, eventually all the way through 19. So I did pull that one verse out just as a a jump start about that this situation, he doesn't thank the people or the the servants. So, we are going to start in Luke 17, and we're going to read, um, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 for now. So, Luke 17, verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, When he is come from the field, go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready, wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, 
When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And I'm not sure if I said verse 9 or verse 10 there, but um, those two together, 9 and 10, have kind of puzzled me for a while. And so that is, is what we want to look at. And the, the title this morning is The Faith in Being Thankful. So if you want to put a title down, that's what I, that's what I came up with. It. And I think the two go hand in hand, and it, it came through in this as I tried to understand what's being given here in this passage. It mixes faith in with it. So we're just going to go down through the verses to try to understand the, the meaning and what's being said in the verses, and then maybe some applications after that. So we look in verse 1, just starting in here. It says, He said unto the disciples, this is Jesus talking to him. He said, It's impossible, but that offenses will come. Impossible simply is meaning that it is going to happen. This is not um, just a chance. He's saying it will happen. Offenses will come. And he says, Woe to him through whom they come. Offenses are stumbling blocks. Or even words or deeds which entice to sin. So when we think of offenses, it's a very serious thing to put a stumbling block in front of a brother or sister and cause them to sin. And he says, don't be one that brings offenses. Going to verse 2, he says, if you were one that offends these little ones, he says, it would be better for you to take a millstone, put it around your neck, and be thrown into the sea. I knew what a millstone was, but I wasn't sure on the dimensions and size of how this fits together. <clears throat> in verse 2, a millstone is a stone approximately 2 feet in diameter and 6 inches thick. And it even has a hole in the middle. And the way they grind, they use two of these put together to grind grain. And if you were to tie one of those to your neck, I do not know the weight of it, but you would have a very difficult time making it back up to the top. It's basically your death doom. And so Jesus is saying, you don't want to be offending people. It's a serious matter. In verse 3, he has, take heed to yourselves. So listen up here. He says, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Let's take the word trespass. That is simply sin. That is what we know of as disobedience to God, doing, uh, uh, disagreeing with God, and, and what we use the word given in Scripture as a sin. Uh, if thy brother sin against thee. It says, rebuke him. Now, rebuke is um, something that, if you know people real close, you like to do that. You like to rebuke them and say, uh, that was, you did it wrong. Like You, you, you correct them. You, you rebuke them for what they did. But in this case, it's not so much of a you were wrong, I was right type mentality. It's a frank but gentle admonition and using scripture as what's right and not a personal opinion and so 
frank means just to say it the way it is, but, but to have general admonition, and that is to politely tell the offender that he is wrong or that this is what took place. And all that should be done instead of the opposite, which would be not to say anything and to end up harboring a grudge because you didn't deal with it. You're going to sit there in your mind and you'll probably think about it. So Jesus just says, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Now repent is an interesting word, but it pretty well comes down to one thing, and that is, is to, to change one's mind. It's to change your way of thinking. And when you rebuke somebody, they can repent and say, my mind wasn't working right there. I wasn't thinking right. I'm sorry, and, and, and uh, correct it. And then here it says to forgive when, when he does repent. And as we know, forgiveness, remember teaching Sunday school, oh, I don't know, maybe even a year or more ago, and the lesson was on forgiveness. But the, we think of forgiveness as, um, you know, all the things that, that God did for us, and he forgives our sins. But to point it down to what forgiveness really is, it's that thing that you like to hold on to that somebody did against you. And forgiveness means to let go of that. It says to cease to feel resentment against someone or something. You, you don't have resentment against them anymore. That is to forgive. And verse 4 just says, if he does it, what's it say? If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And that's kind of where it stops with what Jesus was saying. And somebody offends you, he comes back, repent, you forgive him. If he does it again, you forgive him. If he does it seven times a day, and as we know, the numbers aren't necessarily the, uh, the main uh, emphasis here. It's you continually forgive. There's no end to it. God extend forgiveness um, for as long as we what would you say? It's, it's unending. And so that's what we need to do. But then verse 5 says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And that's a little bit where the, the trouble comes here, is were they looking at what Jesus told them? In verse 5, he says, uh, or they said to him, he said, Increase our faith. And I'll just say increase means to add to whatever is there. So it's not a fact of, Lord, we need to have faith. It's saying we have some faith, but we need more added to it. And just basically like it says, increase more. And faith, as we know, is our trust or confidence in God's ways. Faith is a big subject in itself. But it's basically, at least what I take it here is, their trust or confidence in Jesus, that they could see him, what he was doing, but that they would, that was their faith, and so they said, increase our faith. So why did the disciples ask the Lord to increase their faith? A couple questions I don't really know. Did they see the Lord's way of forgiveness as a hard thing to do? Just to always be able to forgive? Or maybe they were trying to understand 
this new way that Jesus is bringing to earth of a higher calling, a higher standard of, of all these teachings that Jesus was giving. Or maybe they were dealing with doubt that we're not sure about this. Is this really uh, right, what Jesus is teaching? Should they believe in it? Should they have more faith in it? And so they said, increase our faith. So go to verse 6. You have, and the Lord said. And I take this as a response to their question of increase our faith. And he gives two examples. The one is specifically in verse 6. And then the other one is the verses 7 through 10. So let's just look at verse 6. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now, a, for those that are really watching the words, this is not a sycamore tree, this is a sycamine tree. I didn't know the difference until I decide to look and it's basically a mulberry tree uh, I always thought a sycamore was the one that Zacchaeus climbed and it was probably this huge big tree and he could see uh, you know real far but uh, no a mulberry tree only gets maybe I shouldn't say but I thought it's reading it said somewhere about 10 to 15 feet high so it's not not this huge huge tree that I thought it was um, but basically in uh, wording like this there was two types of mulberry trees. So you had, um, and I'm not even sure if I wrote it down, but one was like a fig mulberry and one was more your regular mulberry tree. But nonetheless, it's not, not too worried about the, um, you know, exactly what kind of tree it is. The point why he said a, a uh, sycamine tree is, is because they had strong roots and they were, um, I, I didn't, comprehend this one but one of the books told me that they said it was not to be planted within 37 feet of a cistern and I have no idea why except they must know that either the root system does something or uh, some logical reasoning but anyway that was just kind of thrown in there so there, there's something to this but a large tree larger tree with strong roots is the example that Jesus gives here, why he's saying that. And of course, if I back up a little bit, I didn't even talk about the grain of mustard seed, but that is, as we a lot of us probably know, something very, very little, like not very much. And other references in Scripture talks about um, how that small grain of mustard seed can grow into a, a big plant, a big tree. Uh, but he's saying if you have it as small as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree that's really strong and rooted in there, be thou plucked up by the root and be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now this is a normal type of faith we think about when we're facing ob obstacles and things in life. And so I just wrote down, a small amount of faith will overcome or move problems associated with the work of the kingdom. And we see that as the disciples went out, they needed faith to for to heal people, to do the work of the kingdom, the work that Jesus gave them to do. And then you start in on verse 7, and it says, But which of you, having a servant, etc.? The NIV, or one of the other translations, says, Suppose one of you has a servant. And I connect these together that Jesus is still putting all this together about faith. And he goes into verse 7, and he says, Suppose 
or, or in this case it says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meet? And that ends in a question mark, and maybe I'm not reading it quite right to make it sound in a question. But he's stating that, is this the way they do it? Do you think that a, a, a servant, when he's come in, will uh, be told, go sit down to meet? And it's no, he won't. And I'm not going to uh, necessarily repeat reading all of these from 7 to 10. I just want to... Um, pull out a couple things of this, what I call a different illustration of faith. And so you have servants just doing their normal work out in the field like um, it's, it's listed here. And it says, what is the first thing they do when they come in from the field? Do they sit and eat? No. It says they are responsible to serve the master first, then they may eat and drink. So they come in and they do all those things, and it uh, brings up the question. It says, does the master thank the servant for what he did? And in the end of verse 9, it says, I trow not, and that basically is, I think not, or no. That whole phrase could just be, could be interpreted as saying, no, he doesn't do that. But the, the word thank in verse 9, I ran into a problem. Because that word thank is not what we call thank today. This is the same word that's used for grace. And this jumps a whole different deal. It's not thank. And I got sidetracked again because if you look up all the other words in Scripture that say thank, they use the term um, See if I can say it right, is, is maybe not in the original language, but the, the term that's out there is called Eucharist. And it has to deal with communion. And I could have probably just about repeated a whole second communion service with thanks. When, when you have the word thank in Scripture, it has the original word meaning Eucharist, which is giving of thanks. And I figured that's what's here, the giving of thanks. But no, this word thank in verse 9 says, and you could put the word grace in there. Doth he grace that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? No. So then I thought, well, maybe I'm way off the track on a Thanksgiving one because now this doesn't really mean thanks after all. But I figured, nah, it's still it's still mixed in there. It, we'll, we'll learn something either way. But... Just to put this in, what it really means is, it says, does he thank, that is the word grace, and it could be read, doth he bestow a sense of favor or gratitude to the servant for what he did? Does the master do that? Does he bestow a sense of favor or gratitude? No. Another way of reading it could be, hath he thanks to the servant for what the servant did? And the answer is no as we see it in scripture here. Now, the, the problem with this is, is it puts us, it's a little hard to go through this, but depends where your position is in life. If you were a master, yes. But are any of us truly masters here this morning? Not really. But as the men, I see you, yes, you're the master if you want to save your household. You're in charge of it. 
but yet we still have a greater master. So, I, you know, it's a little hard how to place this all. But let's go to verse 10, because this even settles it in a little bit more. It says, um, I'll just read verse 10. So likewise, ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And I think that verse backs up what he's, Jesus is trying to say in verse 9. Unprofitable servants. Were the servants unprofitable? No, they were doing their work. They were doing what they were told to do. That should have been profitable. But Jesus says, we are, and, and this is what really drives, gets home to me, is, is that these words are commanded by Jesus to us today, to his disciples here specifically, so likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, this is your response. You say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. So unprofitable servants is, I forget, oh, I didn't write it all down. It, it went on kind of this funny bunny trail, and I, I didn't, I should have kept on going, but it, it threw paying taxes in, it threw in a bunch of things, and I wasn't quite sure of that, so I moved to another resource, and it, and it gave the word unworthy, and I thought, well, that, that fits a little more. And if you would read in other translations, unprofitable, that is more what it means like unprofitable but it's just hard for my mind to grasp what he's saying but the other translations say it means unworthy servants or even useless and i i can't it's like sure servants are useless or they're useful they're not useless but they're useless in the fact that all they did was simply what they were told to do and i tried to try to get that through and it says uh, we invert in um, the last phrase there it says we have done that which was our duty to do and so I tried to to wrestle with this when we think of Thanksgiving so we try to put ourselves in here to to understand what what he, Christ would want us to do and I'm going to start in on the practical points the um, I thought I was cruising down through this. I thought, boy, if I go fast, I lose you. And it's like, I need to slow down. And yet, lunchtime will come here pretty quick. And here we go. Practical points. We need to have faith that God made us to be his servants. Now, I'm not so sure as much as verses 1 to 4 of all the, with the brother to brother and, and forgiving. I think there's a lot of faith in there. And if it's anything, I would say it's our duty to forgive. It's just our duty. It doesn't, um, I might, I think I have it in my notes a little bit later. But anyway, we need to have faith that God made us to be his servants. And I, I, this is what I, really came to me is we think of faith as believing in something that God's able to do. But there's another part of faith that says, I'm going to believe where God put me is true. And where God put me is as a servant. And so in this portion here, I just put in quick, you could have a whole sermon in itself. The servant did the serving first before he did his own thing. So he came in, he served the master, and then he went and did his own. 
How many of us today are doing his work first, or are we doing our work first? I, I thought, well, there you, that could be. So I just had, uh, we do his work first, is what I wrote down in my notes. Try to, that's the goal. Another one, God is not obligated to thank us for our work that we did for him. And so this is where I tried to come back through and say, where is my faith in where I'm at with what God expects of me or, or my position? And is God obligated to thank us for what we do? That's what it came down to. And I say no. God does not have any obligation to say, thank you, servant, for doing your job. Hopefully I'll keep making more sense as we go. We as servants of God need to express thanks to each other, even if we feel like we are the master with servants under us. This is a little bit what I talked about. Um, if we take this whole thing of, you know, uh, God doesn't, as the master, doesn't need to give thanks to us. You need to say thank you for when your wife makes a good meal. You do. You need to, uh, what else do I have down here? Oh, with your wife. Wash, cleaning, keeping house. Um, your boss at work. Maybe even in a church setting, you get into church leaders, some of the authority. Um, you all know it's, it, when it's right and proper to say thank you. That, that's, I don't really want that to mix in here, but we know what it is to be courteous and polite. But this is saying God does not need to thank us for our work that we do. And continuing on with that, God's, God, or question, does God owe the servant that does a really good job, does he owe that servant more than the servant that does a poor job? And the answer is no. They're both servants. If the one wants to do a good job, he may. If the other wants to do a poor job, he may as well. just keep reading my points. If we have reached the highest degree of holiness, we're no better than what we should be. We just did our job. And a repeat, does Jesus need to thank us for being servants in his kingdom? Not really. But here's the, what I want to, to, to counter that as we know. There is nothing that we can do that would cause God to be in debt to us. God does not have any debt to us for anything. You can't say, Lord, I deserve this. I don't know where you could find that. That's right. That say, Lord, I deserve this. And you're free to find it, but I haven't. It's only, we are at his mercy. It's only by his grace. And we can come back to this word grace, if you want to use it in a different way. Unmerited favor. Or uh, divine enablement. There's the two common ones for grace. It's only by His grace that He gives us what He does. Because He wants to. Just like we want to. Give above and beyond that which what we deserve. So you kind of see a, a, the line comes to this far. And it says this is all we get right here. And anything above and beyond that is simply because God said, I want to give that to Him. And so it puts a whole mix uh, in there. Here is a list of verses about our position with God. 
Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Job 22.2, can a man be profitable unto God, as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Just a question in the, in the verse there. Job 22.3, is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Or is it gain to him that thou shouldest make thy ways perfect? Job 37 or 35, 7. If thou be righteous, what givest thou to him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? And one yet in Psalm 16, 2. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. It's like our things don't even get there. They're just down here. We're just doing what we're told to do. If all this is understood properly, it will be another means of adding to our faith. So I'm bringing the faith back in here because when we understand our position where we're at, it takes faith to put ourselves there, that we believe that this is what we're supposed to do. This leads us to the place of truly being thankful for what we have. And my... Typing my notes and my thoughts, I, I wrote this one out. This is from me. It's intended to help you understand what I'm trying to bring out from Scripture. So round it off a little bit. But you cannot be thankful for something that is expected. However, if you receive more than what, is ex what was expected, it brings about true thankfulness because the good things that God gives us are not to be expected. And the, the debatable one is there, can you really be thankful for something that's expected? I'm not sure, and that might be a little bit off. But I'll give you an example yet in Scripture before I get to my conclusion. Job 2, 9 said, to Job 2, verses 9 and 10, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, question mark, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not we receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job really balanced it out there. And Job was in the worst environment, I think, that any of us can realize. And he still said, why do we get good from God? Why wouldn't God give evil? We, in our flesh, we navigate to all the good things. Do we deserve those? Job says no. Shall we receive good and receive not evil from God? And if I look at this, God's the master. He can do what he wants. So let's real quick here read verses 11 to 19. I was, and it may not quite, quite fit exactly, but I was really trying to see all this through, and I might be getting a little bit, you know, kind of not stretching scripture, but bringing out maybe not quite what it was the emphasis here, but it really kind of gave me a, a nice rounded off view of all of this. So let's read verses 11 through 19. I didn't know this was in here until I was even halfway through studying, you know, the first part. Nine, uh, 11 through 19, real quick. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, 
Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at, on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? These are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has, hath made thee whole. I like to, to wiggle this a little bit. Um, and obviously all ten were cleansed. But I almost, when I read verse 19, he said, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath, hath made thee whole. That could mean a lot of things. But I thought, you know, there was a faith in this Samaritan leper that he was at a position that he didn't deserve anything. He was a leper. Lepers were, it's horrible. And he asked for something. I don't know if he thought he would or not, but they said, Lord, have mercy on us. And when he was cleansed, he saw it as more than what he really should have had. And it truly gave him a desire, a, the perspective of, I did not deserve this, to return to give thanks to God for what he did. And that's what it says here. Um, he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. That could be... Um, into the idea of uh, his sins are forgiven, that he's not a, um, a sinner anymore. Jesus mentioned that quite a bit about, um, you know, your, your sins are forgiven you're, um, in, in, other, in other scriptures. Um, and so it might mean that here, but I, I just thought of how this faith interacted with the thanksgiving that it could have been. So... Do I have faith in understanding that it is our duty to forgive and not that we are worthy of the many good things God has given? If I understand that, it will lead the heart to give honor and glory to God and give a foundation for our sincere thanks to God. So I just want to leave that with you as you go through Thanksgiving of how the faith can be mixed in with what our thanksgiving is and like I say I was um, encouraged by this especially with the there's lots of things I should just just quit but um, in our Sunday school class something about entitled like we just we deserve these things and um, to try to to try for myself to have a faith that I believe this is where God put me, a position in life as people, and that anything and above and beyond that is God's grace and that He gives us these things, and that turns around and makes our heart just say, to, to use that word Eucharist, of the giving of thanks to what we've received, and, and it brings about, a, I think, just a genuine uh, thankfulness from our heart. And it's something that I 
need to get rid of. And selfishness counteracts that whole thing as well in there too. So may we do that. Continue to give God sincere thanks for all that he's done. I think at this time we'll just stand and have the benediction close the service.